0: Welcome to We're Building the podcast, showcasing and celebrating the very best of black businesses across the UK. My name is Scott Manusman.
1: And I'm Daniel Petty.
0: Today's guest is Jazz Rose, founder and CEO of JC Education and Academy, a business he started in 2004, teaching PE in primary schools. Uh, following excellent service and high demand, Jazz has grown that business into a team of specialists. PE, music, French, Spanish, and art and drama teachers. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Jazz. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. A uh, really, really powerful introduction. appreciate it. <laughs>
0: um, it's a it's, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, really interesting um, area you're, you're in, um, you're in different areas. But um, let's start with a bit more about kind of you and, and your journey.
2: Yeah, sure. I grew up in in NW10, and I sort of grew up a little bit like everybody else with enough to get by, but never enough to really thrive. And um, I really wanted to live to my full potential. And my grandma always used to sit me down and she'd say, look, son, you can, you can lie with dogs, but you will catch fleas, or you can soar with the eagles. So that really planted a seed in my mind to really live to my full potential and also to be around people that inspired me and that were ahead of me as to where I wanted to get to and that was doing the things that I that I that I aspired to do and yeah so that's of my my entry level when I was in primary school and high school and so on I actually started the business JNC when I was 17 uh, because I used to play football, right? And like becoming a professional footballer was my destiny. That was my thing. Like there was nothing else in the way. I remember one of my high school teachers said to me, you know, um, well, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to be a footballer. That's it. <laughs> it wasn't a question of, uh, it wasn't a question of if, but, or maybe, you know, um, but like, like many teenagers, I had, I had injuries and back to back and so on and so forth. And, um, I wasn't necessarily the greatest football player in the world anyway, but I, I did work extremely hard at it. Um, I remember walking into the changing room one time when I was uh, on the verge of signing my first professional football contract and a new manager walked in and I was like, well, what's going on? <laughs> and the deal was that I was meant to play this game. And if I had performed well, and I was, uh, I was ready to sign the contract and he walked into the changing room about to start getting changed. and he said. Uh, Excuse me, Mr. Rose, you've not signed the paper. Uh, see you later. And I didn't even get to play the game. Um, that, was the, uh, that, was, that, that was a really crushing and devastating moment for me. And wow. at that moment, I kind of realized, you know, that I have to expand my capability of what I'm able to do and what I'm able to deliver in this world and not necessarily leave uh, leave it open to other people's demand. Mm. So then I started doing a little bit more coaching work of coaching young people and that was developed through football friends that I knew and so on and um, once I got into coaching I remember one time after about six months to a year of of coaching for various different companies my one of my bosses at the time I used to coach for her on a Monday after school and she rang me up and she said hey Jazz listen I'm leaving coaching to go into full-time teaching um but since you're doing such a wonderful job with the children and they really enjoy having you there why don't you just uh take control of delivering the leaflets and the flyers and take continue delivering the service well I said yeah sure why not and I'm 17 at the time and I'm delivering these leaflets and then I started okay let me just deliver some leaflets to some more schools because children are really enjoying the service and mm. I continued to, to to deliver the leaflets and share, share, share the story um so to speak I used to ride around on my bike to like loads of different schools after <laughs> um, after after college and uh yeah and from there we we sort of took the business from having you know 30 pounds 30 pounds in our school club per week to so a three million pound turnover business per year and we did that over the space of the next 12 years
1: I think I heard you tell a story about is it Brent Football Club and a foul throw I'm very interested in um that story and how it impacted you because I thought it was a brilliant story yeah sure.
2: Yeah, sure. First of all, you've been in my archives. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard that story in a while, but uh, but yeah, it was at uh, Brentford Football Club, and uh, I'm I'm born in August, right? So what that means is that in school years, I was always the, the the youngest. And in football years, that would typically mean that I was the oldest, right? So I was always used to play. I was 15 years old. And at 15, I was always used to playing in an age group under-15s. And I was smashing up the trials, like doing really well at Brentford for about two or three months. And then the manager came up to me and said, look, you're doing extremely well. We're going to put you up in age group. And I said, yeah, come on, bring it on. Let's go to the under-16s then. And he said, no, no, we don't have an under 16s here. You're going to the under-19s. And I was like, shoot, man, like, how do I go from under <laughs> Like, you know what you're like when you're in that stage of physical development. Like, all the boys are, like, ten <laughs> times your size. And, you know, their voices are all broken. My, so I got some little, like, baby voice still. And um, so that shook me up a bit, man. But I was like, okay, cool. You know what? I can do it. I've been playing centre-back for my entire life. And I've been doing a really good job. Um, and then um, he said, look, well, we're going to put you in the under-19s team. And we're going to put you left-back. And I said, where? Left-back in the changing room. <laughs> what do you mean? I've never heard of this term before, left-back. Does it mean anything to me, right? And he said, yeah, yeah, you're going to play the position left-back. And I said, okay, cool. And I thought, all right. Well, I've seen other people play left-back before, but I've never done it. But let's give it a go. And um, I came on the pitch at the last 15 minutes of the game. And I was playing really well until it got to about 10 minutes into, the, into my performance and then the throwing went, went down like further down the pitch and the manager was like yeah Rosie you go and take the throw and I was like no 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 no! let the left midfielder take it he's further up the pitch <laughs> and he was like no 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 you and then the captain just started yelling at me the, net, the manager and then the manager's manager started yelling at me he said Jazz Rose take the throwing and I was like shoot man I've never taken a throw in my life <laughs> but I was like hey like how, how hard can it be like you pick the ball like put it behind your head and you throw it right so then I went way back and it was like a hilly um kind of uh pitch right so we went way back to the hills and people were looking at me like I was crazy right but I thought I was you know the further you run the more powerful you throw it right so I ran about 20 yards to throw this ball um expecting it to go like 60 70 yards um the ball landed like six yards in front of me (laughs) and um it was the most embarrassing thing in my whole life um but you know, uh, luckily, one of my teammates sort of uh, recovered the ball for me and, uh, you know, it went 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 back to the goalkeeper and whatnot. But that was a, a really devastating experience. And I remember I remember it vividly because, um, you know, not only was it sort of part of the experience of the actual game itself, but the next day. At Brentford, they had video recording. <laughs> I wasn't used to this, right? So, so like, while you're watching the game back and watching all the things that went well and the things that went bad, and this became, like, a huge highlight. Like, everybody watch this. Watch Jazz Roses throw. It's absolutely awful. And, um, <laughs> you know, needless to, needless to say, about two weeks after that, I was no longer required at Brentford.
1: Wow. And, and what, so... Tell us the learning behind that. though. What did that actually teach you and how did that benefit you going forward?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I thought to myself, wow, like I'm 15 years old going on 16 and I've never been taught to throw a ball. I've never been taught to take a throw. And this is a huge uh, disappointment to the football community. Uh, to the education community in terms of physical education um, and to my general learning as a young man growing up. So I thought to myself, hmm, how can I go about making sure that every child that comes out of of school is able to to, to throw and to do things physically that are going to aid their development professionally and personally? Um, so that's one of the things that I was really committed to was to make sure that every child had the ability to, the opportunity, sorry, to play sport, to engage in sport in a fun, engaging way that develops not only their personal and physical skills, but also their mental skills in a way where it's equipped them for wider society. So many football clubs are, uh, known for being really great at developing players, but they're not great at developing people, Right. Um, you know, we've all heard the statistics about, you know, the percentage of players, young players that make it and the young people coming through and, you know, they've got hundreds of players on their books, but only five of them would make it or so. Right. But what happens to the other three, four hundred players that don't make it? Well, you know, you've got to develop them as people so that they become important and valuable contributors of society in the world, as opposed to just saying, sorry, there's no space for you here. And then they're left out on the limb with not necessarily the wider skills that they can apply. And here's the thing, Daniel, right, is that there's so many skills in football that are attributed to professional and personal life in terms of teamwork, collaboration you know like leadership skills is just like remarkable and that's one of the things football was one of the things that I really hinged my leadership skills on when I when I grew the company JNC Education because you know having up to 150 staff I needed to know how to lead a team and I know that I would never have been able to have that foundation of being able to lead a team effectively if I didn't play football and I saw a lot of people that were growing in success in their careers sort of when I was in my 20s and so on and the people that were becoming most successful were the people that either played football or played a different sport and that were and that were relatively good at it because they were able to apply the things that they learned from football coordination teamwork uh, adaptability all these different sorts of skills and they were able to apply it into the wider world so I, I had a conscious effort of why don't professional football clubs, why don't schools promote this advocacy where you're teaching people, to, teaching children to, and young adults to become really skilled people as opposed to really skilled professionals, professional footballers?
0: 100%. Um, you, you've actually said, and I was, I was going to move to this, um, from from the research I say so it's not just about teaching, uh, it's about empowering future leaders, it's about... Uh, creativity confidence and critical thinking um how did that um foresight and level of thinking um you know uh transform into to your business
2: yeah, I think it was really embedded in the culture of what we did in terms of everything that we did from, the, from, uh, from 2004 was about embedding and developing people's critical thinking, embedding their confidence and developing that and embedding their creativity. Because look, here's the thing, right? Uh, if you can create, there's always opportunity for you to win. There's always opportunity for you to grow. There's always opportunity for you to be successful. If you are only a follower and somebody that can only follow, and you can't lead. You can't create your own opportunity. You don't have the ability to, to think independently. Right. And you're always following, following, following. You're going to find a space where you get stuck. Right. And that's where uh, most people or so many people in society are today. They reach a, 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 a what they call a ceiling that they can't necessarily break through. And the reason that they can't break through or the reason that they struggle to break through is due to lack of creativity. And this is one of the things that um, when I started the company, it's getting better now and it's still got a long way to go. But when I started the company, schools, a lot of schools really lacked anything to do with creativity. So it was all about academic rigor. Right. But if you've got all this academic rigor and you can't apply it contextually to society, then it's almost useless right um so that's what the education that's what we really started to infiltrate into the education system is like look look you can be the the, the best mathematician in the world right but if you don't have the confidence to, to to come out and communicate about that and communicate that skill effectively and in a way that translates to the wider audience then you're going to be either a miserable math teacher or you're going to be somebody that doesn't perform to your full potential and you have to have the confidence but with things that we started to teach in schools such as PE, music and stuff, the, you know, the math teachers and the English teachers and the, the other, the, the sort of general class teachers, they will come back and say, Sophie's uh, confidence has really improved. And every time I ask her about it, she says, yeah, she's, she, she just loves music and she loves now to express herself. So here's the thing, when you express yourself in music or when you express yourself in sport, you have the ability then to express yourself in mathematics. You have the ability to express yourself mm. in Drama. You have the ability to express yourself in science and to think more creatively, so that you're always constantly coming up with new solutions.
0: You mentioned earlier in passing, just casually, you said you know you've got a staff of one hundred and fifty people. Um, <laughs> so, tell us tell us a bit more about um, kind of you know the earlier days and how you got towards the one hundred and fifty. Obviously, it's a long story, but um, just that the key uh, milestones throughout that journey
2: so the business was actually providing initially we was doing sports coaching in schools right between 2004 and 2007 i went to university i think in 2005 yeah in 2005 because i was under pressure right like i had to make it i had to uh, make something work so i went to study law at university i absolutely hated it again due to the the rigorous way that it was taught and it was just ultimately really boring right um so by the time i got to 2007 now i had an opportunity to uh I, well i Took it. I created an opportunity. I wrote to all the twelve schools that we were working at and said, "Hey, we want to work with you full time." And three of them came back and said yes. Um, so I then quickly hired three PE teachers full time, um, and then we continued to run the business. And I left university in my second year. My mom was furious. She almost threw the book at me. Right? You can imagine what do you mean? <laughs> but um, you know, I when, when I when I explained it to her, my mom was really really great about it. When I explained it to her and the opportunities that I had in terms of the income that I was able to generate, and you know the stability and the confidence that I had in, in, in a, explaining to her, and b, being able to deliver it effectively and continue to grow this business, um, it was so much a no-brainer. And um, yeah, so we continued then growing the business in terms of delivering high-quality PE in primary schools, um, and we were getting numerous requests because schools would have the PE teacher deliver from JNC, and then they would have a music teacher, or they would have a French or Spanish teacher, and they will go, "Tell you what, your PE teacher is fantastic, but our music is not so good." I I wonder if you can find us a music teacher um, and I sort of toyed with the idea for about two years I failed miserably about five or six times um, until I really found the system and the people to make it work and then in 2009 is when we started implementing music foreign languages and the other services that we deliver and um, so we were able to then deliver a whole entire package to a school to say look while your class teachers are delivering their planning and their preparation their assessment we would actually come in and you know really engage the children through music creative arts and physical education and they were like, yeah, they lapped it up and we continue to grow and scale that business, as I say. Um, And in terms of the the, the leadership and the staff development, um, one thing that I would say to people is document everything right? When I was 17 and I was going out and teaching kids sport, um, I used to write down all my lesson plans and I used to keep it in a file. Um, This later turned into sort of a a binder, right? Which I used to give to new people that came on board say, look, this is lesson one, two, three, four, bang, 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 all done. Um, I actually wrote a couple of books, one called Teaching Primary PE, which people can find on Amazon. Um, And that all stemmed from what I was documenting day by day, week by week of everything that I was delivering. And all the book is, is simply like taking out all of the best lessons of that I delivered and actually putting them into a book format. Um, So that's the first thing that would made it really easy to systemize the business um, or as easy as possible. And then in terms of scaling it and and growing to approximately 100, I think it was about 158 was 148. Sorry, was our peak number. Um, Again, it was all about leadership clear communication, uh, getting everybody on, on on side, understanding the values of the business, understanding the vision, understanding the purpose of the business. Why are we here, right? We're here to develop confidence. We're here to develop creativity. We're here to develop children's critical thinking. So we're not only just teaching a child, a child to pass the ball from A to B, but we're actually talking about the angle, talking about the angle of support. We're talking about the speed of the pass, speaking about the power of the pass. So we're cross-curricular linking it into science, into maths um, and, and, and the other core subjects that really start to make it work and really start to inspire children you know they used to go oh this kid this kid Simon he's really terrible at maths and he really hates it and he always plays up and he always misbehaves he comes to PE and then he goes to maths and then he's like oh yeah and he's all of a sudden he's uh, top 10% of mathematicians in the class why because he's now confident now because he has a relationship with maths through PE that he's now translating into he can see the purpose of math now because he sees there's a link between physical education and the mathematics that he's studying. So it's all about providing that link. And that's what we've, uh, that's what we've been delivering.
0: You know what it's, and you know, amazing. Um, I'm just trying to, um, process the business model. Um, cause you, you mentioned the initial three you hired were full-time staff. Um, but kind of with, with that business, um, you know, some people run it like an agency, uh, really? effectively. So was there like a hybrid approach to having kind of a mixture of full-time staff and agency staff, be more fluid, more adaptable to schools? Um, what's some business model today?
2: Yeah, great question. I put, I, I spoke about this. Um, well, I spoke about a subject alongside this on my Instagram the other day, um, and essentially I was saying that, you know, I, <laughs> I hired a, a consultant about 12 years ago, right? And uh, he happened to be uh, someone that was on apprentice, hence the reason that it came up in my story. And um, he sat me down and one of the things that he kept on saying to me was, look, why don't you just do it like an agency and just do it like everybody else? And just um, essentially hired a teacher, they contract with the school, you get paid a fee, and you never have to deal with that school again, you never have to deal with that teacher again. And I said, no, nah, I don't really want to do it like that, I don't want to be like everybody else. And the reason for that is because I wanted to have, um, you know, for one for of not sounding uh, crass, I wanted to have control, right? And the reason that I wanted to have control is because I know that what I deliver and the way that I want to deliver it and the way that I educate and train and develop people is quality. Right, and it doesn't dilute. <laughs> like I don't want, um, I don't want um, my staff going out or my contractors going out to deliver something off the shelf that was sort of average or mediocre, which is what 99% of schools have um or a vast majority of schools have they have a lot of mediocrity and they, they they sell through and they coast through because they're okay and no kids are dying and no one's getting hurt right? <laughs> but I wanted to deliver a, a high caliber and a high quality so what I did is I had full control I had full control of the lesson plan content the lesson structure the outline of the curriculum and we gave that to our staff essentially we trained our staff um regularly initially for a three-day period intensive and then uh, ongoing support throughout their throughout their career and what that led to was a lot of um a lot of really successful teachers that went that started with jnc and went on to do really amazing things either in the company or outside of the company and um yeah and that really had a profound and lasting impact on thousands of children's lives which is something that i'm really really proud of
1: working in the education space how did you overcome the slow sales cycle and also limited budgets of schools
2: um <laughs> it's a really interesting question daniel um a you said limited budgets right and a, a, how can i put it <laughs> um a, a budget is a guideline right and if you deliver value then a, you have to move the budget out of the way you've got to give the budget the the, the brutal kid and just like <laughs> it was what's a budget A budget means nothing to me and um you know in, in in that sense because I'm communicating and I'm delivering so much value that it goes beyond what what your budget or your budgetary constraints are and in saying that you know a lot of people that I worked for between the ages of like 16 and 18 uh when I started coaching um, they they delivered this on a on a budget and income per school basis. So a lot of people would say to me, for example, right, well, why don't you um, why don't you just charge the children, charge them like five pounds a head after school? You get 20 children, you get 60 pounds and, you know, it's so much easier. Right. But I knew that this or well, I had a feeling that this kind of method of delivering the service had a cap right? Um, in that, you know, it could fluctuate, right? You might not get always get 20 children in a session and so on and so forth. And I learned something quite young, which was about continual income. So my philosophy was always to contract the schools, get them on side and agree a long term provision with them. And irrespective of the number of children that we had in the clubs after school, we would still charge that one single rate. So in essence, a lot of schools were able to to recoup some of the income because they would charge the children three pounds ahead after school or whatever but we would charge them one set rate um, from sort of eight in the morning to half four in the afternoon and what that did that gives that gave solidarity to our teaching staff because they know that whatever happens i'm getting paid until half past four unlike a lot of other companies they were like well you get paid up until half past three and then it depends on that so they had a consistency of income Um, we had a consistency of contract with the client and we had an embedded relationship both with the parents and with the client which then created solidarity so when everything was sort of falling apart and you know it came winter and children aren't turning up and so on and so forth we had a solid business structure and that really helped to retain a lot of staff that we had and really um, was a good hook to invite new staff to come on board.
1: But in terms of yeah. this the sales cycle though so how did you so I understand the value element and the budget that you just mentioned but did that also impact or influence how long decision makers took to actually um, take on your services?
2: Um, No, not really. I wouldn't say so. Um, And reason being, man, (laughs) because um, not to to blow a trumpet or something, but we had phenomenal, we had phenomenal communication. Um, And I really use the word marketing because I really believe that it's about communicating value. And we were able to do that really effectively and really well. We were one of the first companies um, that I had seen deliver really first class video of marketing material to schools and say, look, this is a three-minute video of what we've done over, you know, filmed across about five or six different schools with head teachers saying how brilliant we were, as well as actually showing the lessons that we were delivering and talking about those things which we discussed before, confidence, critical, critical thinking, and creativity, um, and really able to show it rather than just talk about it. So That was sort of the the cycle, the sales cycle, if you like, because we were able to then put this kind of email, put this kind of clear communication across the schools and say, look, if you want this high-quality provision, then we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Come on board.
1: (laughs) So when you were typically going to a school, was there uh, a point of contact, like, the specific person? So let's say a recruitment company may go to HR. Did you have, you know, that... Is it a head teacher you went to mainly or how did you operate?
2: Yeah, um, one thing that that I'm very committed to and very clear on when I communicate, because I I mentor a lot of people now um, through a program that I deliver through uh, called Money Mastery and so on. And one thing that I communicate with people is go for the person who has the buy-in decision go for the top person. right? And this might be nuanced for different type of industries and so on and so forth, but where you can go for the decision maker. So I always communicated directly with the decision maker. I had a phase in my um, in my business where we were communicating with people lower down the, the tree and it was awful. Like it was really awful for our business. Um, in terms of we weren't able to build effective relationships with the head teacher so then we would just get a random email after like nine months being like yeah really sorry but we're not long continuing your provision on that. i've never spoken to you before but um and, and they would be like um they wouldn't know much about the service they wouldn't know much about the provision, they wouldn't know where we were coming from what our philosophy was um and that sort of thing so getting straight to the decision maker and building a relationship with them was really critical to our business and the expansion of it
0: and just critically thinking here in in your context contextually who is the decision maker the principal or the head of um pe
2: the definitely the principal um, we you know um, look one thing that people need to understand about about schools in particular right and this would probably translate into many other industries as well someone is given a title of head of PE or head of music or head of drama and typically and no word of a joke right they've given the title of head of PE because they walk into the staff meeting one day and they say right we need a head of PE and um, does anyone have any PE experience and then someone will put their hand up and go yeah well my wife used to play football and they go okay great you can be the PE coordinator like, no no seriously <laughs> like that that that's it that's quite and go yeah who wants to be um you know we need someone that's going to be head of uh head of french and go oh well you know i spent like two months in france a couple of years ago uh, you know my, my grandma speaks french okay hey, cool you're head of french you know and it's a really basic level of understanding that they have in the specialist subject. i mean as you can probably tell i i spent you know 15 years or so um in the world of sport and in the world of sport development so i had a, a real deep understanding um, but in primary schools, they, they didn't necessarily have that level of expertise. And you know, like, bless those teachers, they're, 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 they're so stretched to do so much and they do so much intensive stuff in terms of the math, the English, the science and so on. And how would you expect them to deliver a really high quality provision of anything outside of that? It's, it's, it's physically not possible for all schools to have that, that high quality provision um, and that high quality experience. Because look, here's the thing um quality is delivered through experience right and as a as a teacher in the the, the primary sector you can only have a certain amount of experience within a certain subject right so if i said to you daniel look um, you know, you've you've got a wife that speaks French, so you're going to become our French, our head of French. Um, you you might go, okay, yeah, not a problem, and you can research it and you can get sort of the technical points of view. But you know, that has to have the experience of it. Maybe you've not been to France before, so then you can't communicate really effectively about the culture of that language and the derivatives and so on and so forth. So that's one thing that we were able to do really, really well was to get in those high quality professionals and um, go straight to the direct point of contact in our case would be the school leader
0: were you able to get any tr- traction in in secondary schools or is it just a completely different model
2: yeah another thing that my um my mental friend um spoke to me about 12 years ago and it's something that I really wasn't interested in um, for, for for a few reasons uh, one is because High secondary schools always have specialist teachers already. Uh, when I was in secondary school, and I'm sure you're the same, Godman and Daniel, when we were in secondary school, we had one PE teacher who had been there, for 20, and they'd always been there for 20 years plus, right? Like, like they were just like tables and chairs. They're just not moving, right? And it goes back to that sort of, uh, everything's okay, nobody's dying mentality right um so you know why why am i going to try and challenge and transform something that's so well ingrained and embedded and the second thing is that in secondary the the children have a different philosophy they've already grown to a certain point where it's much more difficult to educate them on the the the, on the basics so to to speak they've already got an attitude they've already got their own individual personalities where in primary school you have much more opportunity to really curb that and i think Secondary school teaching is really, really great, but from a different aspect, from like a technical point of view and so on and so forth, you can teach more advanced skills and stuff. But in terms of creating the culture of the child um, and really developing the whole child from an early foundation, I found much more joy in doing that through primary education.
0: You've been around since 2004. Um, So you've weathered, you know, um, cyclical economic conditions, downturns. Uh, COVID and everything else Um, give us a bit more flavor about um, things you would have you know encountered from 2004, 9-11, recessions, uh, COVID how have you kind of what have you learned through that process and what have you kind of outmaneuvered and kept going Mm,
2: I think learning is fun first and foremost and you learn through experience so I take the experience as fun. I take the downturn as fun. I take it as exciting. I take it as, right, we're on a roller coaster, guys. Let's rock and roll, okay? Um, And I think that that's really important for other people to to do the same. Um, In terms of challenging experiences, et cetera, we've been through everything, right? Uh, One of my commitments when I was 17 was to learn every small business leadership skill that I can possibly imagine, uh, from sales to finance to marketing to operations to leading a team to so on and so forth um and the thing for me was really um the thing for me was really about how can we make an impact and how can we adapt in order to make an impact effectively? So, you know, I've had numerous business challenges people trying to steal my contracts, like staff trying to steal contracts. I've had uh, head teachers trying to steal contracts and head teachers trying to back out of contracts, even though they signed it two weeks ago because they realized they were ready to mess up somewhere else. I've had it all. <laughs> so, I've been through that entire journey. And um, as I say, I, I find it fun. And now I'm in such a space where um, I've really like look forward to these challenges and overcoming them because in for every challenge there's a rebuttal, there's an outcome, there's a there's there's a, there's a turn. It's like um it's like you know when I used to play football for every trick that I, I used to play defense right. So every trick, every skill that an attacker would have, I would have a defensive standpoint for that in order so that they couldn't then get through towards goal and it's the same thing in business you've got to be able to adapt your body position you've got to be able to adapt your way of delivery you've got to adapt your method of communication you've got to adapt different things in order to block the negative forces that are coming through to make sure that you win and that there's a mutually beneficial arrangement so that the schools win the children win and the organization stays stable me, for example, COVID, right, So we had a massive client, we uh, we had a, a chain of schools, essentially, right, and they had about eight of our clients, right, eight, nine of our clients, and uh, due to COVID, they weren't able to cope with the intensity or cope with the cost and various additions in their, their cost their budgets elsewhere, et cetera. So we, we lost that contract and that wiped out about 33% of our business, right? So we had to adapt. And the great thing that COVID has taught me, for example, is that I've now become a better leader. I've become more efficient with my time, with my energy and with my resources. And yeah, we have a, we have a much smaller business now, um, but actually we're more effective and we're more efficient and we're more lean right? I actually started two new businesses since COVID started. (laughs) I'm like, recoup some of that cost. (laughs) Um, And, you know, we have a really fruitful team now where every single component of the business, it kind of reminds me back of where we were at, like and. Uh, 2014, 15, where every component of the business just uh, spins itself and it just works itself. And it's allowed me more of the time now to be a more efficient leader where I'm able to delegate a lot more effectively. Um, I don't actually spend a lot of time in that business anymore, uh, more than sort of four to six hours a week uh, overseeing stuff, seeing stuff because I've got really effective leaders. And that's given me the time, the openness to open new businesses and start new ventures that really impact and enrich people's lives on a continual basis also
0: what's your core team so how are you able to delegate uh to to others in the team to take on kind of some of your responsibilities
2: oh yeah I (laughs) I to be honest I I have almost no responsibilities apart from the 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 legalities and the, the the tax and the paperwork behind it um tax accounts and making sure that everyone gets paid on time um and the rest of it is effective visionary and communication. I have two senior leaders who have been in the business, uh, one who actually was one of the first PE teachers that I ever uh, assigned way back in 2007, uh, came back from South Africa with an array of leadership experience as well as primary PE teaching experience and I thought he was the ideal person to bring back on board the team. Uh, one who's a PE teacher for, with us for seven years and has a phenomenal track record of engaging clients and building really effective relationships so I thought he was an ideal person to have on the team um, so I have them too and they essentially lead the, lead the operations in the business they lead all of the sales all of the marketing uh with my support with my sort of guidance and you know structure it this way and bang 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 and i'll oversee the final bit and um and they they're, they're away they, they they get on and they get things done and um they're absolutely phenomenal
1: when you came up with your your pricing strategy how did you especially at a young age how did you know this was the right pricing point so i think you mentioned you didn't want to do per head but how did you know this was the right price for schools specifically
2: um i didn't (laughs) i didn't know it was the right price Uh, um but i did know i did know the value of what we were able to deliver i did know what it would cost us in order to deliver it i did know what i wanted as a, a fair margin and I base my prices on that. And so many people from so many different backgrounds, experiences and expertise would say to me, your price too high. No one would ever pay that. That's not possible. That's not the market rate. The, the industry doesn't operate like this. And guess what? I don't care. <laughs> I have no interest in what the industry does. The Industry has not, very little to do with me. Right? Pass that to the side. What I'm interested in is delivering a phenomenal and remarkable education for the next generation. And in order to do that, this is our fee. And yes, it has to be something that schools uh, are able to pay and are capable of paying. And yes, it has to be something that doesn't leave us bankrupt, right? And that was the thing that we came up with. And yeah, we were, we we are pretty, um, we're a little bit, we we've been, little bit more expensive than our competition for a long while and there's a reason for that and it's quality right (laughs) like um you um and 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 schools uh are accustomed to that now and they they know who we are they know what our brand is you know don't come to us for cheap we're not cheap we are effective um so there's a difference and the difference is that you know schools would typically go to for example an agency yeah, let's take an agency for example. I go to an agency, and some would have really raving testimonials and reviews about the the agency, um, and some would have really bad, and some would have really in the middle. So I would say to I can say to schools, okay, well, if you go with an agency, you have about a sixty percent chance of getting a good teacher. If you get a good teacher, brilliant, well done. If you come to JNC, your 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 chances are ninety eight percent. What do you want? Do you want guaranteed quality? Because what an agency will do, they'll send in a brilliant person one week and then they'll say, oh, I'm really sorry, this person's had to travel back to Spain because their grandma's died or something's happened. And then they'll send them a really average one and they'll go, oh, they're average, but tell you what, we'll keep them because we can't be bothered. We've got too much work to do. Mm -hmm. So then your children receive an average education. And to me, that's not good enough. So... You know, if that same situation happens, someone has to retire to Spain or to France, or someone has, you know, someone departs the business for some other reason, we know that we're gonna back it up. 98% of the time, we're gonna provide quality again, and again, and (laughs) again, and again. You know, like Man United back in the day, like when they just like win everything, that's what we were like we're like on it it's like everything everything is quality the, 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 the delivery of the staff is quality the training behind the scenes is quality the communication that we're sending you in order to train the rest of your staff is quality the leadership is quality the communication is quality everything's quality there's no faith there's no failures here mm. and when there are failures yeah we have we had setbacks don't get me wrong we're not like you know above all but we had setbacks how quickly and how effectively did we did we did we sort those issues out? like that bang done no problem (laughs) what was that you said you had a problem yesterday sort it down yeah brilliant done (laughs) whereas with an agency whereas with an agency might take you three four weeks to sort out that's Mm. three four weeks of policy education loss down the drain dustbin not good enough for me
1: no definitely not and in terms of so from a business perspective you mentioned from 30 pounds to three million turnover can you speak us through the Different challenges because I think for sure there's different challenges at thirty pounds to to ten thousand to half a million to, to three million. So what were the business challenges at the different sizes and and growth?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, a few years ago, I decided we. I think we were about about we were around about two million at this point, right? And it's about five years ago, and. I decided, okay, we want to grow, we want to scale, we've got so much capability, we've got so much skill within this organisation, we've got so much scope, like, let's scale it, and I reached a tipping point where I, I, I felt like I couldn't take it further on my own, I didn't, and I didn't, I didn't have the skills, didn't have the experience, more importantly, in fact, sorry, I had the skills, but I didn't have the experience, um, so I bought a lot of people, I bought a few people on with a lot of experience, and that was a huge challenge for me, because I was about, it must have been about what? At this point, I was about 28, 29 years old. And, uh, you know, I've been running this business with my head down, not really having a vision or uh, an understanding of how businesses work outside of my own. And when people came in from with a, a, a long CV from all these different big companies, you know, central London, and you know, the grandest companies that you can think of, um, I thought, great, brilliant. And what happened with that, or the biggest challenge with that was that, I didn't know how to lead people that were more experienced than me in a certain industry or in a certain field or in a certain specification. Um, so that was a big challenge for me. And then, uh, you know, that led to a, little, a lot of conflicts, a lot of resistance, a lot of, well, this is my vision. This is my idea. Yeah. That's never going to work. And it led to a lot of friction in the company. Um, so that was a big, big, big challenge for me in terms of dealing with people. How do you lead people that are more experienced than you in your heart, your gut, your instinct is telling you, no, 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 don't do it that way. But then the person that's got 15, 20 years experience in this industry and in this particular thing, whether it be marketing or sales or accounting or whatever, they're like telling you, no, 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 Jazz, you have to do it this way. So then I sort of navigated around that and, and, and went with it. And it led to, um, again, a lot of conflict, a lot of resistance and a lot of slow movement in the business, which is where I speak about now, where it's, so, it's, so much, it's much smaller, but it's so much more enjoyable because it's so fluent client calls. Hello, John. How are you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can sort that out. Not a problem. Whereas before it would have been, John's not available right now. Can I get him to call you back? Two days later, a client calls back. Can I speak to John, please? John's not here. He's just in another client. And then it got to go from three or four different people to get through to John. It's long. It's a headache and it causes friction. So I didn't know how to deal with that efficiently. And I didn't have the experience of dealing with that efficiently. And I'm so grateful for where I'm at now because now I have the experience and now I have understanding of okay so how do I lead people that are that are 10-15 years older than me how do I lead people that have 10-15 years more experience in a particular space than me how do I do that and now I now I have the skills the confidence and the experience to be able to do that with much more efficiency and much less friction so that's why I'm really really grateful for where I'm at now because everything's an experience, you know, I could, you know, some someone else in my position could have said, well, you know, I've had enough of this, this is too much. But uh, for every every challenge is an experience. And for every experience is an opportunity for growth. And I just love growing.
0: And talking about growth, um, you now wear a number of different hats. Um, what's the foreseeable future for uh, your education business?
2: Uh, It's stability and growth, it's stability through COVID and then it's growth and expansion. It's all about a child-centered approach, about delivering something that is fulfilling for the children, that is engaging for the children. Because first you've got to engage a child's heart before you then educate their mind. And then you get to the practical level of giving them the practical experience. And that's where a lot of people miss out is because they try to educate the mind before engaging the heart and that just doesn't work long term you might even get phenomenal grades but once you come out of school you're stuck because how many people that you know are really intelligent really academically smart but can't necessarily transfer that to an interview can't necessarily come across confidently in an interview or in a job or can't stick at it or can't adapt when the when the leadership changes and things like that and and it comes out like oh yeah my boss doesn't like me or you know you know you hear these kind of uh these common phrases and stuff like that and the underlying surface thing about it is you haven't you don't have the ability to adapt to different circumstances effectively and that's what that's what we're at the cause of
0: your your other businesses um that you're you're currently involved in tell us a bit more about kind of where where that's going and um what you love about that
2: yeah sure um so during lockdown actually uh, one of the one of the things that happened to me in in terms of jnc was I realized that we had a lot of money coming in, but it, I, I didn't have a very clear, unambiguous understanding of where all of it was going. So I started to take a deeper look, right? I always felt like I had I made enough money, but I never had enough. And that wasn't really good enough for me. So I had a deeper look and I started to find that money was leaking out left, right, and center. Money was leaking out money was leaking out of our account like a sieve Like literally, when I started to look deep, I, I, I saw phone contracts that we had from staff that we had that no longer work with us since 2017 it's now 2019 why are we still paying 50 pound a month for that phone contract and you multiply that against you know 50 50 60 different items and types of things um subscriptions etc it was just ridiculous so then once I cleared that up and I got a real clear understanding of that I then started to look into my personal finances and go okay where's all my money going right um, so then I started to dig deep and then I started to create a tracker which was tracking essentially my income and expenses um which now is called the money tracker which i Essentially, I, I, I created it for myself. I shared it with a few people on my WhatsApp story. They said, look, it's really good. Can you send it to me? Yeah, bang, 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 bang. Send it to about 20, 30 people. Um, and I kept on getting inspirational messages from people saying how great it was. I thought, all right, let me try it on Instagram. I put it on Instagram and people have swamped to it. And uh, yeah, I'm now selling that on Instagram and that's going really, really well. People just love it because they get complete control of their finances. They're able to track their net worth they're able to track their income it highlights red when they've overspent based upon their money plan it highlights green when they've underspent on it it uh what else they're able to put in their money goals so they're able to plan for their financial future and irrespective of how much experience an accountant and so on and so forth have one of the one of the things that I know and understand, again, it's about engaging the heart before you engage the mind. An accountant is going to send you a spreadsheet full of numbers, right? And that's going to take me about two hours to look through this and really get to grips of understanding it. Not to mention the amount of times that I've got to look in a dictionary to find out what these things mean. <laughs> so I've made it really simple through the money tracker and really clear to get to grips with the personal finances because it engages your heart first. It engages you psychologically Physi- physiologically, it inspires you to take action. Because when you said, okay, cool, I'm going to spend, I don't know, £200 on petrol this month, and you've noticed that and you notice that it turned red and you spent 210 you're like, hmm, let me see if I can find a few local petrol stations that are a little bit cheaper. <laughs> For example, let me curve my attitude, let me curve my habit in order that, I, that I'm operating where I decide to operate and not where I'm unconsciously operating through uh, forced habits or unconscious decisions so it really brings people to the consciousness of their money habits and then um through this process you know so many people have received great rewards from the money tracker Um, a lot of people will ask me if i can put on a course so i then created a six-hour program called money mastery which is essentially a six-hour program that inspires and empowers people to transform their relationship with money it takes people from where they are financially to where they want to go. And it does that with velocity and ease because we start to break down people's money consciousness. We start to break down their money mentality. Like where does your money mentality come from? You said that that's expensive. Why did you say that? Where did you come from? Oh, cause my grandma always said, you know, uh, you know, don't, uh, <laughs> you don't want to be the richest person in the grave. So I start spending all my money all the time. See, all of this stuff starts seeping into our mentality from where six, seven, eight, nine, 10 years old. And it lives with us through to, uh, through to the rest of our life if it goes unchecked so then we start to break into your money goals what are your goals how do you set them how do you establish them and how do you make sure that you succeed at them with ease and velocity because a lot of people set goals but we're not really clear right so we really break down the goal piece and then we go into okay so now how do you make more money right so then there's communicate there's a series of communication patterns that we use that really uh blocks the flow of money with people right so let me give you a very simple example you say to you say to me hey man how are you and I say yeah I'm not bad think about that for a moment not bad that's two negatives <laughs> like that's not that's not opening up a channel of positive communication now yeah. right that's you know so we really start to untangle what it is about our communication that blocks the flow of income and how to then open up those channels. So that income starts to open up for us. And as a result, uh, I spoke to one girl, she said, you know, I've got a, a pay increase of 10 grand. Um, and another guy said, you know, I've had one client this year. I've now got four. <laughs> um, and that's just through six hours of money mastery and mastering the relationship with money. So there, yeah, that really, really inspires me because I'm able to touch people directly. I'm able to shift people from where they are to where they want to be very, very effectively.
0: That's awesome! Awesome. Uh, it feels like you're in the stage where you're kind of giving back now, and, and you're you're you know looking at how you can add value, and you're looking at the wider picture. Um, you've you've written a new book, um, passion for learning as well, and people can get that. Um, what would be the key lasting um takeaways for our listeners? Um, for someone who's who's run a really successful business, grown it to you know um, you know really amazing uh, um, figures. Um, For someone starting out early in their business journey, um, what key advice would you give them?
2: Learn about money early on learn about money and money management early on because if you don't you're going to end up in a constant cycle of trying to make more money and making more money and making more money and it's going to drive you absolutely crazy if you're not very very careful um, and the reason that I say that is because <clears throat> you know most people start a business in order to take control of their financial future and to set themselves up for life um, but a lot of people we, we run into this rat race of running the business that we continue running the business until uh, something critical happens like we have to we have we we have a heart attack or we have something serious health wise that happens to us because we commit so much of our time energy and enthusiasm to our business that we forget to commit time energy and enthusiasm to ourselves and we are the pivotal we are the pivotal most important part of our lives so we've got to really take care of ourselves and the way that you start to initiate doing that is really start to take care of your money understand where it goes, understand what it's for, understand your taxes, understand all of that sort of stuff so that you can start to win with money. And again, it comes back full cycle where I've been, right? I used to work 50, 60 hours a week. Now I work, now I Now I don't, I almost don't work more than five hours a day most days. There are days, I know one thing that I would say as a caveat, right? I'm always prepared to work hard. Like, <laughs> like you know, the other day I did do like a 16 hour shift, no problem, easy, right? But most days I work five to six hours like between three and five hours a day. Why? Because I understand all of the cycles of money and I understand how it works. And I'm actually just about to put a video on Instagram and it's not about hard work. Hard work is part of the process, but it's not hard work. Hard work won't make you wealthy, right? And the reason for that is because everybody works hard. (laughs) But so hard work is part of the process, but we have to really understand what we're working hard for. Like, what is your cap number? What is the number that you want to get to financially? What is your net worth now? Where do you want your net worth to be? And the reason that I speak so casually now is because I've been able to utilize my money build a property portfolio that able that's able to pay for my lifestyle and expenses so i don't need to necessarily worry about money right i think about it but i don't never worry about it and once you're in that space it actually opens up your it actually opens up the receptors in your brain to operate more powerfully it operates it opens up the receptors in your brain to operate more with purpose as opposed to operating for the purpose for the point of a paycheck And once you start operating fully for a purpose rather than a paycheck, then your leadership is more effective. Your communication is more impactful and the people that you're able to inspire is more, is is more fruitful.
0: 100%. Um, Where for our listeners, where can they find uh, more information about you?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, Instagram at Mr. Jazz Rose on Instagram. That's my main point of, 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 of where i play and where i hang out and where i share loads of insights tips and hacks into leadership financial freedom money and property
0: awesome
1: it's been an absolute pleasure thanks thank you you for listening to the world building podcast where we showcase the best of black owned businesses in the uk you've been on with daniel pedu and godman Usman. New episodes will be released bi-weekly. You can catch us across all social media platforms at We're Building Podcast. Stay tuned.